0: Reading from John twelve, twenty-three-through twenty-six. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and wherever I am, my servant will also be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Morning. I thought that was a, a great heads-up move earlier on Landon's part, is just have everybody face the back. And I... Where I was standing, it was amazing to hear people were singing with heart, and so I think we could try preaching that way. If you guys want to stand up and look towards the back, I'll just preach to your back and see what happens there, you know, see how this goes. i go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2, and uh, we're back to the catacombs this morning, which is just fine. And that's something I really appreciate about this crew in the year that I've been here, a little more than a year, is that it seems like when there's a bump in the road, it just, this crew is very resilient and saying, all right. We're gonna we'll roll with it, and we're gonna keep the main thing the main thing, and we're just gonna keep pushing ahead towards that. And so, it was. Uh, we'll we'll do the same here. And uh, we're, as I've been preaching through here the last bit again, last year we went through the book of Mark and talked about the life of Jesus, and we spent some time talking about the community of the Holy Spirit. And because Jesus who is who he is, he said he is, and because he raised from the dead, and, and uh, he established his kingdom. And what we are supposed to be as the church or the community of the Holy Spirit, and and it's called different things in the New Testament, means what are we supposed to look like? And we talked about the difference between the world, the sinful nature that we see in Galatians chapter 5, all of those nasty things, and the fruit of the Spirit, how we're really different and how we should look different and demonstrate the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we know from the song, that we demonstrate those things in life, and it changes us. And we spent some time in the last weeks here in Acts chapter 2, verses 42-47, through talking about the early Christians right after Pentecost, right after the Holy Spirit comes, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, and today we're going to talk about breaking bread. Now Mark nailed it all already, so we're good to go from here, right? The tremendous stuff. And so... We're going to talk about what this what this is, uh, the breaking of the bread. And if you look at Acts chapter two, verses forty two through forty seven, that's just one of the things that's mentioned there, right at the beginning. And I'll go ahead and read these verses. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the Passover, uh, as was mentioned here as, uh, during class, I think this morning, is that I don't. Uh, that's where the Lord's Supper was born out of, okay, so we're going to go all the way back to Exodus chapter twelve, and you can turn there and you can look you can look through it as I tell the story. but what's happening in Exodus chapter twelve is this is the first example we have of the the Passover being given, and the story leading up to that you have the Israelites who have gone down to Egypt and over time they've become slaves they become people who uh make bricks they they build these these the scripture doesn't say it, but the timeline fits that they're building some of these pyramids that are there in, in Egypt now. Their they're hard labor is what they're doing. And just imagine if you've grown up in that, your parents grew up in that, your grandparents grew up in that, and that's all you've known is you as a people, by who you are born to, you become someone who is just involved in, in slave labor. And that's all you got. That's all you got to look forward to. That's all that life is going to be. And then here comes this guy named Moses, someone who grew up in Pharaoh's household, someone that you knew of that was ran out of the country years before. He shows up and, and he says, God's told me to come and talk to you, and I'm going to lead you out of here. And maybe you can, you can infer from some of his discussion that he is pretty f- afraid of this. He's kind of spooked about it, and uh, he would rather be out in the desert herding sheep. But God has said, you need to come, and you need to set my people free. And so as you're watching this go along... Uh, you see the, the plagues start coming, uh, that, that God brings judgment on, on Pharaoh and the different gods of Egypt through these plagues and shows that the God of the Israelites is more powerful than, than anything else the Egyptians believe in. And so Moses comes one day and says, all right, here's how it's going to work. Something powerful is going to happen. You need to be ready. And what's called is called the Passover. And there's an angel of the Lord is going to come and is going to kill the firstborn in all of Egypt, and we can prevent this ourselves, but we need to be ready. What God asks us to do is to take a lamb, and it was a a process over several days. Take this lamb, this lamb, and then there's going to be bread, there's going to be bitter herbs, and all of this meal that you're going to prepare, you prepare this meal in haste, or real quick, because what's going to happen is when... The angel comes and strikes down the firstborn in all of Egypt. You've got to be ready because you've got to get up and you've got to go. And so have the staff in your hand when you're eating. Tuck your cloak in your belt and be ready because this is going to be big stuff. And what happens is the Israelites take the blood of that lamb and they put it on the, on the doorpost. And when the angel comes, the next morning there is great wailing in Egypt. There's great crying because the firstborn has been taken from every family. And the Israelites get up and they leave and it's a pretty tumultuous story over the next while. But what happens is part of this original Passover meal is God says to the people, says from now on you're supposed to do this Passover meal so that you remember what happened and remember that you were slaves in Egypt, that you didn't have hope, you had nothing, but, we, but God has, has uh, brought you out and God has redeemed you. God has freed you. And so every year from that point on, they were supposed to. It didn't always happen. But the Israelites would take this time. It was the first month of their year. And they would celebrate the Passover and remember what God had done for them. And, and so there was two parts of the Passover. We can say it this way. There was the meal itself that they would eat. And there was the memory of what God had done. And so every year this type of thing would happen. And you see, Jesus, when he first... If we could say, starts the, the Lord's Supper, it happens in the context or in the middle of the context of this Passover meal. So we're going to look at a few passages here. Let's go to uh, Matthew 26. Go ahead and turn there. Matthew 26. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29. And Matthew does have 26 chapters. Matthew 26, 26 through 29. That was the one. This is it. We're going to read it, Mark. Here we go. Matthew 26, 26 to 29. And this is Jesus is, uh, they've prepared the Passover. They're eating the Passover meal here. And right in the middle of all this, what happens? In verse 26, it says, "While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, "Take and eat, This is my body." Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And from then on, what happens is people who have decided to follow Christ have continued to celebrate what is called the Lord's Supper. It is a feast that that came out of the Jewish Passover and use those elements that are there and said, um, and as Jesus said, this is something that's going to happen. This is, I want you to remember. I want you to remember the body, my body that sacrificed for you. And I want you to remember the blood, the covenant that I've given that uh, forgives your sins. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is another passage that's read a lot, uh, referring to the Lord's Supper. And ironically enough, This is uh, right in the middle of a discussion that Paul gives the Corinthians about how not to participate in the Lord's Supper. Because some of them uh, get there early and they they eat a lot and they drink a lot. And you imagine when some of the other people arrive uh, to participate in the Lord's Supper, there's not anything to eat and some people are drunk. Not a good deal. it, It didn't work very well. And so Paul is telling them, okay, you can't do that. You're missing the whole point of what the Lord's Supper is supposed to be about. In verse 23... In 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, The cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so what we see, just like the the Passover, there is a meal and a memory, and we have the meal of the lord 's Supper that we eat the the bread and the fruit of the vine that we eat to remember this great sacrifice that that Jesus gave for us, and we have that memory again that we look backwards and we can say, "Yes, Jesus died on the cross he, uh, and that 's a huge that uh, 's big that 's something that changes me that 's something that that uh, has made me different, has, has redeemed me, has, uh, has put me in a relationship with God again. And we remember that. But there's something different about the Lord's Supper that you really don't see so much with the Passover. There was a, a little bit of understanding uh, going forward, uh, and I'll come back to that here in a second. I don't, don't want to get too far ahead of myself. But something that the Lord's Supper has is not only a meal and a memory, But I tried to come up with a word that started with M for this, and I couldn't this week. So this is unpreacher esque if you want to say it that way. There's a meal and a memory, but there's also something else about the Lord's Supper is that it is a proclamation looking towards the future. Because you notice in those passages that we read, there's a future element to them. You are to do these things until the Lord returns. That's the idea. And we have something that is so unique and so wonderful when we participate in the Lord's Supper, is not only are we looking back at the things that God has done for us, but we are looking forward at the things that God will continue to do and the greatest future that we have possible, coming our direction. Let's think about it you know, in terms for us. Um, there is, whenever we participate in the Lord's Supper, okay, we have the meal, We have things that we remember, and we have things that we proclaim for the future. So we look to the past, and we look to the future and all that. Okay, let's think about the past here for just a second. Okay, we have the the Lord's Supper that we think about um, all that that God has has done for us and how uh, Jesus and his sacrifice and coming. Yesterday I was thinking about this uh, quite a bit because I was pulling weeds with with, uh, some of us um, on the other side of the parking lot, as we were trying to uh, give our contribution to uh, working on the the building and a lot of the outside grounds that we did yesterday. And it was pretty exciting when he pulled the stump up and there was a water line that was hit that went flying. Every, that was pretty exciting stuff. Um, there's a lot of exciting, neat things that happened yesterday. But one of the conversations I had with, with a brother that I've thought about a lot since is as we're over there pulling weeds up and he said, you know, there's a, there's a spiritual application here. And he talked about it is that weeds are like those sin-type things that are in our lives, that we have... Uh, you know, how many of you have pulled weeds? Yeah, all of us, some of us, yeah. It's torture, isn't it? Because they're never you never seem to get all of them. There's always something else there. But the amazing thing is that weeds, there's a, whole, there's, there's a whole parable there for us, is that over on the other side of the parking lot, if you want to walk over after we're, we, we finish up here, you can go over and look. And there are some... Some shrubs that are, that are coming up and that are growing. And Bryant Beck did not get those shrubs with the weed eater. He got the shrubs back here with the weed eater, but he did not get those. Okay. So those are still there, Bryant. Okay. All right. Good. Okay. So these shrubs grow up and, and they've been trimmed down. And so they're, they're not really big at this point in time. But you look at it as there is weeds around them. And you think about our spiritual lives. There's, there's a whole lot of those weeds can grow up around us. Now, God has us, if we can call our faith a shrub, that continues to grow, and God's working to water it. He's working to help it grow. But if we allow these sinful stuff around us, it's like these weeds that compete for water, they compete for nutrients, and they're there. And these weeds can grow really fast, and they uh, they can tear us apart. And so... Part of what the Lord's Supper does for us when we come and participate in it every week is that we get to look at it, and we get to think, okay, here's my life, and here are some of these weeds that are growing up around, and I want to make sure that I can do whatever I can in order to, to pull these weeds and get them out of my life. And that's when we participate in the Lord's Supper, not just as individuals but as a group. We can look around and say, man, I'm not alone. There's all these other people here that have their sin problems that they're wrestling with, that they're trying to figure out, what's, how, how, am I, how can I continue to grow? And if we don't have that time every week to reflect and to, to be here together in the, in the presence of God when we're taking Lord's Supper, it's really easy for those weeds to grow up and to choke out any spiritual growth that we have, isn't it? So that's one of the great things that's important for us to remember when we're participating in the Lord's Supper is that what God has done for us in the past. And the Israelites had that. They were able to look to the past and say, look what God has done for us. He's freed us. He's always been here and he will take care of us. The thing that the, the Israelites didn't have so much uh, taking the Passover is what the future held. What they, what they were able to do is look at the past say, yeah, God's always taken care of us, but the future is, is cloudy. We don't know really what that looks like. And there was some, some the ways that the Jews would try to look into the future and try to, to, to guess what God had for the future. In fact, you see some of this when, when Luke's account of Jesus taking the Passover and participating in the fast Passover is Jesus takes the fruit of the vine, he takes the bread, and then he takes the fruit of the vine again. That's what you see in the book of Luke. And it seems to be what's happening there is some, not all Jews, but some of them would have a, a cup of the fruit of the vine that would stay there at the table. And the idea was is that someday when the Messiah comes, that he will take this fruit of the vine. Well, most of the time, during the, Lord, or during the Passover, that cup just stayed there and nobody grabbed that. There's not many people that are going to claim to be the Messiah. And so it seems to be what Jesus does here is, as they are participating in this Lord's Supper, Jesus takes the the fruit of the vine, he takes the bread, and then he takes the fruit of the vine again. And he takes this and he shows them, this is the covenant that of my blood that I'm going to give for you. And you're going to see in the next few days. They don't understand what that means at that point in time. They're wrestling with it. But having that extra cup there was the idea of, for the, for the... For the Jews trying to say, all right, we know that God has been good for us in the past, but the future looks cloudy. We don't really know what that looks like. I think about it in terms of um, the house that we had, the last house that we lived in in Great Falls, sat on a hillside and looked over the prairie and went all the way over to the Highwood Mountains, miles and miles away, and you could see them. And it was a beautiful view to be able to, to look and to see that. And... Um, I remember one morning getting up, and it was really rare. This didn't happen often because the wind blows so much that so not fog. But I remember getting up one morning, and I couldn't see anything beyond a few houses. And the ground was covered in fog. And as you looked past, you could see the outlines are just the shadows of a few houses that were there. But I couldn't see any further than that. And that was really what ultimately the Passover was for the Jews, as it was a clear picture behind, but towards the front, they could, the future, they couldn't see much beyond a few shadows of what might possibly be there for them. But when Jesus comes and he establishes the Lord's Supper, what he says is, you know, do this in remembrance of me. And whenever you take this, you proclaim as as Paul says, the Lord's death, until he returns. And what the life of Jesus and the message of Jesus did for us is it blew all that fog away so that we're able to look to the future and to see what that clearly looks like. And I thought about this week, what are the greatest moments in history? And we can talk about creation, that's pretty big. We can talk about Jesus going to the cross, that's pretty big. We can talk about the exodus that the Passover celebrates, that's pretty big. But as I I pondered, I thought man, maybe the two biggest events in history are still to come. The resurrection of people and the return of Christ. And so that really changes how we look at life. Where the Jews were able to, during the Passover, just look at the past and say, man, God's been so good to us. He brought us out of, out of slavery and he's, he's done great things. But I'm not sure what the future looks like. Because everything is foggy there. I see some outlines of this Messiah that's supposed to come, but I just don't know what this looks like. But for us, it's different. It's like when you go to a concert, you know what a crescendo is? Hey, if you're reading music, it's the, the symbol that looks like that. Hey, that's a crescendo. And what it means is as the music goes along, it gets louder and it gets louder and gets louder until you have this big fabulous finish. And for us as Christians, taking the Lord's Supper... That's really what it's like, is that we're able to look at the past and say, look at what Jesus has done for us. But we have something to proclaim for the future because we know very clearly all the fog has gone away and we can see the mountains, we can see the future because there's going to be a resurrection of the dead and there is going to be a return of Jesus. And those are the two biggest things that has ever happened to mankind. And our world is going to end with a huge crescendo and we know where it's going. And so when we take the Lord's Supper and we come to to participate in that every week. And by the way, we have an example of the Lord's Supper being taken weekly. And the early church, when you look at the writings of the second century, the church leaders, they talked a lot about taking the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. That's what, what the early church did. That's what we do. And something I, I believe that I've seen, and I've experienced myself, So I had a, a job one time where I, uh, for a couple of summers I worked Sundays, and it was it was tough on me spiritually in ways that I didn't understand at the time. But um, what I've noticed is that when we are trying to walk a a life that honors God and we are not participating on a weekly basis and and taking the Lord's Supper with other Christians that are around us, what I've noticed is the future starts to get foggy again. Instead of seeing a clear picture of the great things that are coming, the resurrection of the dead and the return of Jesus, that future starts to get foggy and we start to get confused and we start to lose our way and we're not able to see what uh, what direction we should go. And our life changes and we get distracted by all sorts of stuff that is going on around us. And therein lies, I guess, the wisdom of God in that we have as people times that are sacred, times that are important for us, times that recenter us. We, we celebrate holidays for those reasons. And the Lord's Supper is exactly that. And Jesus, when he came, took that Passover where the Israelites could look only backwards and very, very little into the future and showed us, no, I'm going to take all that fog away. You're going to be able to see into the future. You're going to be able to see the two greatest events that are coming, two greatest events that will ever happen to mankind are still in the future. Life is going to, to crescendo and God's going to continue to work until he comes back and there's a resurrection of the dead. And that, when we can see that clearly, that sure influences how we walk. And that's a, um, As I was pondering and, and meditating and praying through that this week, that's something I thought about, is I want to be one who is, is actively, consistently participating you know, as a minister. You say, well, that's not fair. You get paid to be here, Chris. That's cheating. Okay, sure, maybe. But I know that I haven't always worked as a minister. I worked as a park ranger. I was a ski bum. I did some different things. But something I noticed during those times is I I've tro- I I've found ways to make God a priority. And to be able to participate in Lord's Supper, and the brief time that I had where i was I was working on Sundays regularly and i was I did not have that, I felt this great emptiness inside of me, and I could see the clouds starting to come in and that fog coming in, and it was harder to walk in a straight line towards the great future that we have because i couldn 't see it and so that 's hopefully what what we can all come away with uh, from this is that when we when we talk about the Lord's Supper, when we participate in the Lord's Supper, what it, what it does is it takes those clouds away so that we can see the future and see what God's plan is for us. And we tend to, every week, walk a little straighter when we're able to come and participate in the Lord's Supper. And it's neat to, to think about, for me, that it's not only us right here that are taking this in, in Belgrade, but there's people all over Montana that are taking the Lord's Supper. There's people all over the world uh, that... Throughout, If you look at the calendar, somewhere all the time throughout the world, all the way around, all in all the time zones, somebody's taking the Lord's Supper at some point in time. And not only now, but we're able to look past in history at the people that, from this point on, that said, um, from the time of the resurrection of Jesus, that said, God's message is powerful enough and important enough that I'm going to dedicate myself to taking the Lord's Supper and remembering these things and let God work so that I can remember that the resurrection is coming, and the return of Jesus is coming. And the path, when I remember those things, the path becomes very clear ahead. Boy, what a blessing to be able to participate in the Lord's Supper. A powerful day. It's always a powerful day. There's never a time in my life, ever, where I've, where I've made the effort, made sure that I was there meeting with Christians, participating in the Lord's Supper, and thought, man, I shouldn't have done that. Never once has that ever happened. Never once. Because somewhere, somehow, God always works and strengthens me to be more what He wants me to be. If you'd like to become a Christian today or you'd like prayers of the church, you're welcome to come forward. Let's uh, stand and sing together.